Griffith might be the only one who can help stop him. I know where he's going next. What? Oh. But this location fits the pentagram pattern on the map, and my informant says this is where he's going to strike next. This is the third time in less than five years that Logan has been responsible for the death or capture of a serial killer. See you around, buddy boy. I doubt it. Each death makes him stronger. How did you know where he was going next? I opened myself up to him. You might have executed his body, but his spirit has been released. He has the third power. He could be anywhere. How's the stomach, buddy boy? <laughs> Logan! He has the second power. Hi, cutie. He could be anyone. Sister. Oh, I'm afraid she's not here. Now... He has the first power. See you around, buddy boy. Immortality. You don't have any idea of what you've been facing. You can't go on killing forever. You want a bet? First power. And we're back. This is take two with my friend over here, Jeff Colber. Um, unreal. All right, let me let me get out of my own head. Episode 249 of the Brooklyn Blast Furnace podcast. Um, with the amazing opportunity to speak with this gentleman. Um, thank you, Randy Shanofsky, for doing what you did in order for this to actually happen. 
Um, just to rattle off a few things that this gentleman has been in, by far not even close to all of them. Um, we'll go back all the way to an episode of V, which I actually remember. Um, Highway to Heaven, MacGyver, Falcon Crest, Alienation, The Amazing China Beach, um, The First Power, your role in The First Power has stuck with me since 1990, since I've seen it. Um, Tank Girl, The Baby Doll Murders, episodes of NYPD Blue, Walker, Texas Ranger, The Shield, which I feel is a very underrated and incredible show. The Walking Dead, one of my all-time favorite shows ever. Sons of Anarchy, episodes of Shameless, which is also up there. That show is just a complete shit show, obviously, because it's called Shameless. Um, NCIS LA, I don't know, over 150 episodes of General Hospital. The movie Sully, which the real, actual, (laughs) the actual... Uh, events from the movie Sully took place a stone's throw from where I'm sitting right now. I mean, if if I turn the computer over here and I open up my blinds, you can see the Verrazano Bridge. So it's really not that far away. Um, so without further ado, uh, we had a little technical difficulty. We were going for a few minutes. So I just had to repeat myself. Uh, Mr. Jeff Kober, how are you doing, sir? I'm all right. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm all right. I'm, uh, I'm getting over that embarrassing glitch, which I really had no control over. You, you have no control over that, man. I know. Maybe your meditation can help me out a little bit because sometimes uh, yeah. I'm a little high strung, maybe sometimes. Meditation could help anyone out. Is it? You, <laughs> you, you don't even want to see me without meditation. It's just, it's not a pretty sight. No? No, no the inside, it's, you know... Here's here's just just to just to jump off acting for a moment. Absolutely, I want to talk to you about this and your tintype photography as well. Well, so so what what the world sells us is how to change the way we appear to others, and and uh, and then it 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 tells us if we look good, if we have everything lined up properly and the right life and everything, then we'll feel okay inside. But no one teaches you how to just look inside and go for the feeling itself. Change the right. way it feels to be you. And that's what meditation does. It just, it's like it, it, it cuts out the middleman. Because the idea that if I get enough shit over there, it's going to make me feel better over here. That's absurd. Yeah, it's bullshit. It, right? Yeah. You know, so when you, you know, when you get, when, when you're as old as me, you've had enough experience to go like, yeah, that one doesn't work. Let's try something else. So. Of course. Yeah. Well, b- before the glitch happened, um, we were saying that you, you, you're from Montana, but I, I was, I was the last, over the last few days, I was just going up, like I'm familiar with the things that you've worked on and stuff like that. So, I, but I just went to, um, I went to YouTube and there's a couple of like, I mean, they're a few years old and stuff, but there was like a, a whole, I guess you would say like a seminar type thing where you're at a podium and you're talking about all this stuff. And you, you did mention, um, you know, when you were younger and, and, you know, you didn't go into details and I'm not asking you to get personal or anything like that, but, but from the outsider listening to you, you know, I grew up in, in, in a no way, like a bad way. Like it was just, it was just bad, you know, broken home, 
you know, a physically and verbally and mentally abusive father, you, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, there was a lot of alcohol and drugs involved and stuff like that. And, and, um, you know, that my, my parents had gotten divorced when I was young, probably about 10. And I went with my real father and that was a whole shit show in and of itself. And then my mother got remarried to my stepfather and my stepfather was, was very well to do very well off guy. And I, I went literally from like rags to riches, I guess you could say, but it never, none of that stuff. Listen, I'm not going to sit here and lie and say, you know, it was nice to be able to get like the brand new sneakers. So no one would make fun of me at school and have, you know, I had more than one pair of jeans, you know? Um, but all of the, the marble floors and the crystal stuff and the cars and the boat and the summer house and the, all the, all that stuff, it didn't really impress me. You know, a lot of my friends would be like, wow, you know, like, this is great. Like, and I'm not going to say it wasn't great because it was cool. But at the end of the day, I could take it or leave it, man. You know, so all that materialistic stuff, it never, ever resonated with me. I can care less about your diamond rings. I can care less about your bling nonsense. It doesn't make a difference to me at all. And I think what it really is, is absolutely how you, how you feel about yourself at the end of the day. Yeah. And, and the, the question really comes up, you know, am I worthy of life? Am I worthy of love? And am I uh, worthy of loving the world, loving someone else? You know, uh, and, you know, the, the truth is we all are, but, you know, knowing that and feeling that are two completely different things. Sure. And, you know, I came from a, oh, no, you froze again. You're, oh, you're no. okay on my end. Oh, there, you're moving now. No, you're okay on my end. Okay, good. All right. Yeah, everything um, so far, everything is okay over here. Okay, good. Um, you know, when you're when you're a kid, you think you're responsible for everything. So if your parents break up, you think you caused it, and you think you need to try to be better so that dad isn't mad or dad doesn't drink. And and if only you were a better person, they wouldn't, you know, be having fights and all of that. And and that's where you form your, you know, your idea of yourself is when you're a kid. And so if you, if you grow up in, in any kind of crummy surroundings, you're going to have a crummy idea of yourself as you grow older. And that doesn't just change because you want it to. Right. So, you know, so did, did you have it, did you have it rough as a, as a kid, as, as like, you know, you know, emotionally, I mean, I had a perfectly lovely home. We were raised on a farm. I, you know, um, the, there was not a lot of happiness in our home. Um, there was a real, uh, it was like this German Lutheran work ethic of, you know, don't enjoy yourself too much because God's going to squash you. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's, it's, and, and that, that brand of Lutheranism was just really kind of, uh, crushing. Um, and then, you know, my father, he was a world war II veteran, um, you know, with, with problems and, yeah. and, uh, you know, I, I, I learned how to milk uh, early one morning when he hadn't come home from bowling the night before. And 
uh, you know, I was like, I think 11 or 12 years old and I didn't know how to milk. And my mother just said, well, you better figure it out. Oh, so shit, I, yeah. I learned how to milk, you know. And uh, so it, it was, and then, you know, and then I had, uh, you know, I had tragedy in my life that took me down a whole other path for a long time. And Same here. Um, and I wouldn't trade any of it because I am who I am today and I really kind of love my life today and I don't know which part of it would change if I took away anything from the past if that were at all possible I, I sure like that movie the butterfly effect yeah like that yeah you know, it's you know you never know because I, I say the same thing it's like you know I, I did stupid shit as a knucklehead kid growing up in Brooklyn and the people that I was hanging out with I did you know there was drugs and alcohol and the clubs and all the, the fights, the ball fight, all of that nonsense that so many people in my neighborhood went through. And then, you know, I, like, like I said, I, I was, I was mad at the world and I wasn't even sure why, sure. you know what I mean? Yeah. It was just, I was on this mission and I didn't know what the mission was, but I was just angry and, and just, I don't know. I, and then I guess, you know, as I got older, you know, I, I wound up getting married. I mean, I got, I'm divorced now, but but we're we're super cool with each other. I have an awesome daughter. I was in the military. I was in the air force. I did stupid shit and got thrown out. You know, so but it's like you know, if if I wouldn't have did this, that, and the other thing in the air force, then I would have stayed in. And then, mm, but then if I would have stayed in, that's nine eleven. And then that's uh, I might not be here. My daughter wouldn't be here. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, sure. You never know what what little tiny thing you're gonna change without you know your entire life being completely different. Yeah, you know. So, but as I got older, listen, I'm 46 years old, you know, and my listen, I'm not gonna sit here and say I don't get pissed off because I get pissed off. You know what I mean? But it doesn't last very long. I'll just you know some asshole you know. <laughs> cuts me off or something i'll call him something not even out the window this in the car he won't even hear me and then i'm over it once i'm past him you know what i mean stuff like that which is just normal living in the city and being a half a knucklehead now at this point in my life you know so but every day i try i really do like my girlfriend will probably look at me like yeah like yeah right you're always an asshole or whatever but i try every day to be i guess better in some way to be the person you want to be yeah you know when we go off I, I i used to go off on people a lot and uh you know it's it's it, the difference between new york and and uh los angeles is you go out go off on someone in new york you're probably gonna have to deal with the consequences in oh, LA, just, <laughs> you know, we just drive away from each other <laughs> no, not you're, not, you're not going nowhere especially like rush hour there's no way yeah. to go yeah, you you don't want to do that in New York. You're stuck. But you know, it's like, but whenever I've gone off on somebody, it, it hasn't ever made me feel better. It's You're just, right. It's just practical, and it's you know, it, it it there there are spiritual reasons for that, but oh, that those maybe those will come up later in the conversation. Tell tell I'm I'm all in, man. I want to know. I want to pick your so, brain, so, man. Here's, here's the deal. Um, there's a thing called non-duality okay advaita is the sanskrit word for it and it's that which has never been divided and can't be divided it's one whole complete thing 
And the, uh, the Vedic perspective on life is that everything is an expression from one whole complete thing, just like waves on the ocean. There is the ocean, and then there are waves upon it, but the waves are not separate from the ocean. Right. They are just curved ocean. And the idea that the Veda presents is that consciousness is like the ocean. Everything is an expression from consciousness. So there is the, the ocean of pure being, and then there's the wave of activity on the surface of that ocean. Yeah. That's what I am. I'm a, a set of thoughts and feelings and ideas and opinions. And what I truly am is ocean, but I'm just up here for a moment, and then I disappear again and drop this body, and I'm ocean. Yeah. But waves, we're like waves that, you know, get pissed off at each other, you know, and say, you know, you're a bigger wave than I am. Screw you. And, right. uh, you know, I'm a pretty wave. Look at me. And, and I'm faster than you. And all, you know, it's like, it's absurd because we're just going to crash against the shore and then be yeah. ocean again. Yeah. And so all that by way of saying, you know, love your neighbor as yourself is not just a good idea. It's that you can't love your neighbor without loving yourself, nor can you hurt your neighbor without hurting yourself. Because for me to hurt you or yell at you is for me to be hurting or yelling at myself in a very real and practical fashion. It would be like me stubbing my toe and then using the other foot to stamp on my toe, telling it it's a bad toe. Right. You know, it's, yeah. it's not gonna, it's gonna make me hurt more. Exactly. And, it's and so true, man. It's so, so true. So that's the spiritual reason behind that. Is to, you know, just try it out. Yell at somebody and see how, you, you know, you get the anger out of you for just a moment, but then you feel like, oh, I don't feel better. I feel worse, actually. Yeah, yeah. That's why. It's this knee-jerk reactionary, no patience. Like, those are the things I know I need to work on. Yeah, but that's, 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 also, that's just being human. Mm -hmm. And the, the, you know, the great teachers that I've studied, they say that, you know, there is, we are absolutely human and we are absolutely divine or spirit. And that life is about falling back and forth between these two experiences. Yeah. And if, if someone meditates as long as, you know, like I've meditated, it doesn't mean I don't have emotional reactions. It's that I don't take them so literally or personally. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, there's some anger. Or whoa, that one, yeah. that one seemed to be upsetting, huh? Mm -hmm. It but, sounds a little bit. It sounds a little bit like what is it? The the Bhagavad Gita. Yeah, yeah. Probably that's, what? Uh, that's a that's a fascinating uh, uh, example because the Bhagavad Gita is the whole thing is about Krishna telling Arjuna why he has to go to war, right, and kill his relatives. Yes, and this is God telling man why he has to kill his relatives. That and Gandhi, the uh, the master of nonviolent protest and and nonviolence, that was his favorite book. Hmm. So you know, yeah, figure that one out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, because um, I have a friend. Go on. No, go ahead. No, I have a friend of mine, John Joseph. He's a, a singer for a, a, a band over here, and he has a huge following. He was on the Joe Rogan podcast, and he. He practices all that stuff. And that's that's how I know. But I, I'm going to butcher his name. But uh, some prob I, I don't know this. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
Prabhupada or something like yes, that. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. He quotes him a lot. And that's, so I, I'm, I'm kind of familiar with that stuff just because I'm friends with him and that's, he posts all that kind of stuff and whatever, but that's the only reason why I'm really familiar. I never, I never read the book or anything like that, but I'm kind of familiar with the, the gist, I guess you could say. Well, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's probably the prime, uh, version of vedic truth that most people know and what it's it just it it speaks about how to be human and it it makes the point that don't stop being human you know you'll your your behavior will change as your behavior change changes what what matters is that you move in the direction of knowing the truth of yourself right and the truth of yourself is that what you are is perfect whole and complete Nothing that's ever been done to you is, can change that. Nothing you've ever done can change that. That truth of you remains solid always. And meditation is just a way to get in touch with that truth of you instead of being pulled here and there by the, the, the partial pieces of you, the, the changing pieces of you, the ones that, you know, your opinions, which are different now than they were 10 years ago, and your body, which is different now than it was 10 years ago. And, and, uh, you know, your history, which has 10 years more attached to it now. Sure. Yeah. Well, who would have ever thought that I would be sitting here having a spiritual conversation and getting all deep with somebody like Patrick Channing? You know what I mean? I sure as shit never thought this would happen. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's great, man. Um, so now you were, you were saying, um, because before the glitch happened, you know, we were talking about my accent and you said, you said that, uh, that I sound like I, I'm talking like I happened, it happened, you know, a couple of, you know, a couple of miles away, the, the true story. It, it, Brooklyn so, comes along with you. It, yeah. It, oh yeah. Yeah. Brooklyn uh, walks into the room. Yeah. hundred yeah, percent. My nickname in the air force was Brooklyn. Go figure. I don't know. Um, yeah, it was Brooklyn. What are you doing? Uh, what do you, what do you, what am I doing? What are you doing? Um, so, um, but you were saying that your first paid role was the big bad wolf. And then there was something that you couldn't really say. It, the, it was, I was the big bad wolf and Harrison Ellenshaw was the director of, uh, red riding hood that was being made for the Disney channel. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, one of the lines was forget it. And I would say, forget it. And <laughs> Your Montana was coming out. And, yeah. And they would come over and go, um, you said, forget it. I said, yeah, that's what's in the script. They said, no, no, you said, forget it. Yeah. That's what's in the, no, no. You're supposed to say, forget it. Mm. Okay. Let's go again. Forget it. <laughs> I, just, I couldn't do it. You do know? you know how I would be? It would be, a, it would be a mess. I'd be like, yeah, forget about it. Forget yeah. it. Come on. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. Uh, when, when you did that, that was your first paid gig, huh? Yeah. Actually, I did a role before that that I got free hamburgers for. Hey, listen, um, that's some kind of a pay. It's worth something. Yeah. They were, uh, <laughs> they were, the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce was giving an award to the uh, best upkept store on Hollywood Boulevard. This was back when Hollywood Boulevard was like just crappy. Yeah. And then they were giving a, 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 an award of shame to the, the funkiest uh, storefront in Hollywood. Nice. And 
Fredericks of Hollywood, which is this long. I remember that place. I remember the catalog. <laughs> yeah. So they 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 painted the the outside of it just this garish purple, and they were getting the award for best kept store in Hollywood, best most upgraded. And then there was a biker bar called The Nest, mm-hmm. and there were usually really uh, you know challenged people. Uh, hanging around outside it and they wanted to make sure that there were some winos there for the for the <laughs> news cameras so me and a couple other guys got hired to be winos and you know i went out and got some mad dog 2020 i don't know nice i know I'm, I'm very familiar unfortunately but yes you know, I, I i drank some and poured some on me so i smelled bad and i you know uh <laughs> a, 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 a nun who uh worked at a recovery uh, space downtown gave me her card and said I could come down and, and clean up, you know. So, you know, I got a good review from her. You did. You killed it. You killed that role, man. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. But listen, you, you, you did a good job and you got paid with hamburgers. Did you have to pay for the Mad Dog 2020? Well, yeah, that, that was that was uh, my own personal preparation. I, oh, okay. I my own wardrobe. Yeah, it was all. It was all <laughs> okay. Me. I was going to say, listen, they bought you that too. Listen, you you won. Yeah, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Do you remember what year that was about? Uh, that was that that was like, uh, wow, that was like 1982, maybe. Okay, because yeah, because V was like 84 or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that was my first Screen Actors Guild job. Yeah, nice. so I got my card for that one. That was that was good. Yeah, yeah man, the visiting officer you are, right? Yeah, yeah, you were yeah I was, uh, and I worked with uh, Jane Badler, who was the actress, who was the star of that. And that was the first one. And that's how you got your card. That's cool. And then, and then, I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, I was looking at your IMDb and stuff like that, but. But then you were on a couple of episodes of Highway to Heaven. Now, like I said, I don't know if I said it on this one or the one that's gone, but I had Randy Shinovsky, the gentleman that that um, reached out to Dana, I Dana believe. Delaney, yeah. Yes. And then reached out to you. And then I was driving my daughter home to Jersey, as a matter of fact. And I got a text and I'm just like, what is this? Because it was just a number with no name and it was you. I'm like, oh, shit, like, that's awesome. So uh, thank you to Randy Shinovsky who also worked on Highway to Heaven as well. Um, and, and a billion other things. His resume is second to none. The guy's just a, a great Thank people. you, Randy. Thank yes, you, thank Randy. you, Randy, who also worked with you on China Beach and um, uh, the Baby Doll Murders and several other things. Um, but I asked him as well, and I have to ask you, how was it working with Michael Landon? It was, it was, he was a, fascinating character he and you know he never fired anyone from any of his shows from highway to heaven or from uh little house on the prairie it was like a family and there were some people who didn't get asked back but they were allowed to you know live out their contract for one year and he had these people would have taken a bullet for him yeah and you know him and and victor french was the one who directed the episode i was in and and uh and i was like you know i was like a scared kid that was my first big gig and i was because i was the you know i was the guest star on this two-part thing called the monster where i had a big uh birthmark on my face and and people made fun of me and then i you know a blind girl falls in love with me and 
you know, so, and, uh, and the first thing I was, it was my first day of work. Um, and I, it was a really emotional scene where I, I destroy this, uh, workshop that I have. And, you know, it's like, you only get (laughs) one shot at that. (laughs) And so I, you know, and I'd been studying and I'd worked myself into a froth and just like threw everything around. And then, you know, and then Michael Landon's character shows up and says something to me and, and I stop and I'm just, you know, just emotional mess. And, and then he knows that they've got the shot. And then he just, he's looking across me and says, what's all that shit on your face? <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, and, you know, it, it, and it was like, I, I went, well, what did I do it wrong? And then, you know, everyone laughed and, you know, we moved on. Yeah. Um, and then uh, there was, he had his publicist. We were working outside. Um, it was up in, in some old mining community in Northern California. And uh, we were standing around the craft service table and just, you know, uh, shooting the shit and talking. And there was this guy, this skinny little guy dressed in a black suit and it was sunny out, you know, and, and he was walking down the hill toward us. I said, who's that? The undertaker? Yeah. And he said, no, it's my, it's my, it's my publicity guy. And he walks up and the first thing he says to him, he says, Jeff thought you were an undertaker. You know, he just like <laughs> yeah. him right there. So he was, he was very funny. He was very sweet. And uh, he spent about a thousand bucks on lottery tickets in three days, you know, just like really? scratching them off. Nice. He seemed like, I mean, obviously I don't, I never met the guy or anything, but just his, he just seemed like he would be like a nice guy. I don't know. Nice guy. Really nice guy. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Um, all right. So now China beach, man. Mm. Um, prime time, uh, just, just such a, just such a great show. Um, it sounds weird for me to say, but like Vietnam is like my favorite war, like as far as far as like being interesting and stuff like that, you know, um, I just find what, 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 the vets and what what happened there and just the the things you had to go through in the jungle and all that. So I've read I don't know how many books about it and stuff like that. So but so China Beach was was incredible. And the the soundtrack, I mean you you as Dodger is is <laughs> It's fucking great. Then they tried to bring a little soft side out of you later on with the baby and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, man. Um, I know it's, I mean, it's been out now. I mean, several years now, the whole DVD can even get the whole series on DVD, probably on Amazon or something like that. Yeah, you can, but it took a long time to get it because of the music rights. Yes. You couldn't put it out because they use so much, uh, source music, you know, and, and, uh, the soundtrack is incredible like what a great set throughout the whole thing you know so just off the topic we don't have to get too deep into it do you have anything that pops into your head as far as china beach experiences highlights the fun stuff craziness you know it was it was the it was the one of the best groups of people i've ever worked with everyone the the fact it, it was it was really a part of the uh, our country coming to terms with the fact that uh, you know we'd been in that war and that uh, the people hadn't really treated the troops well when they came home. Absolutely not. And and so it was it was like bringing that into people's living rooms in a way that 
it, you know, because the war was brought into people's living rooms. Growing up, you know, in the 60s and the uh, 70s, you know, every night you would watch and see what the body count was yeah. and see how many troops had died. And they, and they had, uh, you know, like uh, the reporters were able to embed with the troops and there was no real uh, strangle on, stranglehold on what they said or what they reported. Right. And, you know, and, and the whole war uh, was over when Walter Cronkite said it was over. Yes. You know, when he said, you know, when he got on the news that night, that that was when everyone realized, you know, it was a, a it was a bad thing. Yeah. Um, but China Beach was like because everyone was committed to telling the true story emotionally and uh, representing these people who weren't able to represent themselves. Um, you know, there was a tremendous lack of ego yeah. and a, a tremendous uh, 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 amount of just uh, generosity, generosity of spirit, generosity of heart. And, uh, you know, we just, we really had a lot of love for each other and, and it, uh, it, it shows in the, you know, in the, in the product. Yeah. Um, and the, a lot of the stuff that was done on that show was, uh, you know, John Wells was uh, the showrunner for the last couple of years of it. And he took all of the camera kind of moves and storytelling that he learned there or helped develop there and took it to ER. Right. You know, and uh, and and then they took it and took it to a whole other level of of storytelling and moving cameras and, and all of that. So, yeah. um, you know, it was it was emotionally trying because uh, I wasn't smart enough to really be able to uh, separate myself from character at that time. Okay. But it was also emotionally freeing because, uh, you know, being in a war uh, in my imagination felt like being in my head in yeah. reality. <laughs> right. <laughs> having, having a use for it was fantastic. Nice. It comes in handy sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. I mean, if for, for the people watching and listening, um, I mean, it's gotta be, I, you could probably get it on like Amazon prime. So you might have to like pay per episode or you could probably buy the seasons or you could get the DVDs, but it, it definitely deserves a rewatch, especially if you watched yeah. it back when it aired, like to rewatch it, it still holds up. It's an amazing, amazing soundtrack. I mean, your performance is, 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 is amazing as well. So, I mean, I mean, what else can I say? But it's a great show. Dana Delaney at the at that time, she was like America's sweetheart, you know, Colleen yeah. McMurphy. And, yeah. And just, you know, and it was the first question out of everyone's mouth who recognized me from that show was, what what's she really like? What's Dana like? Yeah. You know? Yeah. You say everyone wanted to be close to Dana. You know? Right. Yeah. I, I, I think Dana Delaney and I automatically think Tombstone. Right. Yeah. Of Tombstone. Yeah. Like, it's like, yeah. So I, like I, I'm a fan of movies and film and stuff like that. So once, once I realized that it was the conduit between Randy and you and me was Dana, I was like, that's, that's crazy to me. You know, I don't know. It's just, I don't know. It's just cool stuff, man. Never in a million. Well, it also years. speaks to the, uh, you know, the, 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 the bonds that were forged in that, uh, in that time because you know, Dana and I are still in contact. We're still friends. And yeah, you know, Chloe Webb and I, who she was on the first season and we ride horses together and 
she does equine therapy now. And, wow. Uh, Marg Helgenberger is someone I'm in touch with. And, and uh, you know, Michael Boatman, who's, you know, went on to Spin City and, and yes. uh, all kinds of shows. And, yeah. You know, there's, a, there's just a lot of care that, that still exists for everyone. That's great, man. You, you get those bonds. And like you said, it was like everybody together. And it's kind of like, I didn't even mean to even segue, but I've heard the same thing with the whole entire cast and everybody on The Walking Dead. I heard that. That's the other show. Absolutely. That's what I've heard, that, that everyone like just loves and appreciates and it's so tight knit and everyone's just cool with each other. Yeah. And, and that come, I, I just have to say that uh, Andrew Lincoln, I learned something about acting from him, just that, you know, he was number one on the call sheet and he never complained. He was always a hundred percent there, 110% there, whether yeah. he was working with you off camera or on camera. And he was just, he just like, you know, the guy who's number one on the call sheet, he, he, he sets the tone. Yeah. And if he's not complaining and he's been working 16 hour days, you know, 16 weeks in a row. And you come on and you start, you know, boo-hooing about having cold feet. It's not going to. It's not happening, man. Like, we don't want to hear you crying, bro. You're in a zombie apocalypse. I've been through this shit for, I don't know how many episodes and seasons. And you're going to come in and you're going to start crying? Yeah. Stop it. It's not going to fly, man. I salute him and, uh, you know, and his, his, just his, his big heart and, and his talent. God, he's so talented. Yeah, and, and it's it's so. Who was I just? I was recently talking to somebody. Uh, I don't remember who it was. Doesn't make, doesn't even make a difference. But it's just like I, I'm fascinated as well with people who have strong like foreign accents or like an English accent or something. But then they're in like you know Atlanta in Georgia somewhere, and and you would never ever think. That these people and like I would watch like an episode of The Talking Dead after walking and like Andrew Lincoln will be on or somebody from the show or Lauren Cohen and they have these crazy British accents. I'm like, yeah, how do you do that? And you have all this dialogue and you're back and forth and you're yelling and all this stuff like it doesn't even come out like you would never even think. I find that shit fascinating for some whatever reason, man. <laughs> yeah, they're I, they're just better actors. They they learn how to do that stuff. We don't. We just learn how to emote here in the U.S. <laughs> yeah, know? just have some feelings and then say them. <laughs> right. I don't know, man. Because I, I, I don't know. Like I said, I find that stuff interesting. Why? No idea. But um. So now I have to talk to you a little bit about your role as Patrick Channing in the first power. Do you get asked about, about the first power often? I, you know what? I, last week I was, uh, they had a blood drive, a local blood drive. And I went into this trailer and gave my blood. And, and the guy who was, you know, he was like a, you know, he was a, a very large uh, Hispanic gentleman with lots of tattoos. And, and he was like, you an actor, man, you know, and I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, said, oh, I thought so, you know, and, and he just, he talked about just being frightened when he was a kid, you know, of that movie. Yeah. That, that was the movie that made him stop watching uh, horror films. This you know, gigantic so Spanish guy with tattoos yeah. is kid now. <laughs> yeah. and, and so when I left, uh, uh, you know, because we had a really nice conversation. And when I left, I said, uh, 
see you around, buddy boy. Uh, and, you know, it, uh, that was like the that was like the uh, the tagline. I I know. <laughs> yeah, and so I said I don't do that for anyone, man. So I just you know I just uh, see you around, so, yeah, buddy boy. People still remember it. Yeah, I remember it. I've seen that movie. I don't know how many times. Um, I, I'm not going to say that I'm like the biggest Lou Diamond Phillips fan. I, I'm not going to really say that. Um, but your role, like you, you're that movie to me personally. And I, I'm not going to say that I was scared watching it. I'm so desensitized to all that stuff. I was watching horror movies by myself in the movie theater in Brooklyn at like six years old. So I'm like, I'm like, Whatever. But what I did find super creepy and still to this day is when you say the prayer in reverse. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah, <laughs> dude. I, I said the Lord, I learned the Lord's, the entirety of the Lord's prayer in reverse. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Because that will mess you up, man. Dude, it sounds so creepy, man. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, and it was it took me a while to get that one out of my system. Yeah, you it's know? super creepy. It's it's not scary. It's just like you say it, and it's just like and it just flows out of you it's so smooth. It's like it just don't sound right, man. <laughs> and that was my first night of work, and it was in a, a cave up in uh Griffith Park by the zoo uh here in, in Los Angeles. And okay. And and I was just, you know, I was I, I think I think I was stripped to the waist and about to, you know carve up my latest victim yeah so. yeah oh my god yeah what is it um we're just gonna go we're, we're just what is it we're just going to go through a very small tour here okay here and you touch her forehead and then you start saying the shit in reverse it's the creepiest part of the movie man <laughs> but yeah super like it's it, i don't know it's it's not like a gigantic, huge blockbuster movie, but for me, like your role is like iconic to me. Like horror, creepy dudes, Patrick Channing's up there, man. Yeah, well, yeah thanks. You're, yeah. you're welcome. That's hilarious. Yeah, don't do that. I can't. I tried. I'm like, I'm listening to it, but it just doesn't come out. I was actually going to write it down and say it to you, but I would have yelled at me. Yeah, I went to it. There was a, there was a witchcraft shop in Los Angeles at that time. Okay. And I went there and, and, and checked out some stuff and, Oh, <clears throat> and that character was based on Richard Ramirez. Yes. The night stalker. And Richard Ramirez was on trial just before we shot that movie. And I went to part of his trial. You were there. You were in the courtroom with that guy. I was in the courtroom. Holy shit. Talk to me about that. I need to hear. <laughs> it was, it was, I still, I'm still, I, I, I just a little bit chilly just talking about it. Yeah. It had the personal affect of, you know, uh, a kid who got busted for breaking out the windows in the school gymnasium. Like, yeah, you got me. Yeah. You know, it was, he had no conception of the magnitude of his evil or yeah. his crimes. And there's this thing that, you know, he was sitting up on the left and I was sitting back on the right. And the uh, when the courtroom door would open, he would turn around and look to see who was coming in. Because it's like trials go on forever and they just they're boring. And, and he was just bored. And he was just like, and one time he turned around and we locked eyes. Oh, shit. You had a moment with the Night Stalker, man. I had a moment with the Night Stalker. That's insane. 
And and it was like looking into emptiness. It was in, it just it was just they were like the the eyes seemed to be like saucers in my you know in my yeah, memory yeah. of it. Um, wow. And 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 just the banality of evil and and what I here's what I realized about you know because we were talking earlier about meditation and and that you you move back and forth from being human to being divine and you go right. back and forth between the two so there's a desire in us to be God and yeah. he attacked elderly women. He would lock himself in the house with them. And for however many hours he kept them alive, he was God. And so that's like a, uh, you know, that's like twisting what's in all of us and finding a, a, an experience of power without regard to what it does to someone else and without regard to life, because he's a, clearly a sociopath. Sure. You can't feel what someone else feels, but it was that that need for power that that we all have but that you know those of us who are sane look for it in you know uh social structure or and look for it in our connection to something greater than ourselves you know the, right. the whole 12 steps are you know about you know connecting to a power greater than ourselves so we're not at the mercy of that small self right so, so what he was doing was just he he got to be god for those times and that's what got him off and yeah. so crazy did you, did you happen to watch the whole netflix miniseries on him i did not no because i'm I, I had my fill of serial killers i i know everything oh my god it's like i find people think i'm nuts because i find that stuff fascinating but they're like oh what are you crazy i'm like no i'm the furthest thing from crazy what i do find fascinating is what makes people tick it's like yeah. You know, like it's different childhoods, different social status, different this, this, different that. But then there's that X factor that makes these people do shit that they do. It's like, what clicked and what is it like from Dahmer to Gacy to Ramirez to even like somebody like Charles Manson, who wasn't necessarily a mass murderer or serial killer himself, but he was a cult. He had control over these people and like yeah. all of this mental stuff, like. That's the stuff that I find fascinating. Not necessarily that these pieces of shit killed people. It's not that. It's what makes them tick, you know. So, but I watched um I watched that, and there was one on which growing up in Brooklyn, you know, I was a little bit too young to actually remember it happening. But I've heard a billion stories and people who knew people who were killed from David Berkowitz, the son of Sam. Son of Sam, yeah. Yeah, the 44 caliber killer, which is just an insane friggin' moniker. Um, but there was, it's called Sons of Sam, and it's on Netflix. And that opened up a whole new perspective on that whole shit show that that was. Oh, it's wow. one person, but it's super fascinating stuff. And it's just, it's, I don't know. I don't know. But, but for you to be in the courtroom during the trial of Richard Ramirez is, is heavy shit to me. Yeah, it was, and you know, and uh, and Patrick Channing was based on him. Yeah, that uh, Bob Reznikoff wrote the script and directed the movie, and and he, you know, he he studied like uh, occult sort of teachings, and sure. uh, you know, the first power was being able to jump bodies, yeah, take this soul and jump it in someone else's body, and. Uh, 
and you know, and he studied that, and he studied clearly he studied serial killers, and um, and he pulled it all together into that ultra creepy movie. Yeah. And there were more people hurt on the set of that movie than any other project I've ever worked on. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Coincidence? I think not. I think not. <laughs> yeah. Really? Well, that, that's it's 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 not funny that you say that, but it just makes me think like all of the horrific things that happened on the set of like The Exorcist. Like that's well documented. So people dying, sets burning down, like people getting hurt, like a lot of stuff happened on the set of surrounding the exorcist. So here's what I know about darkness. If you look for it, you can find it. Sure. If you see darkness simply as uh, the absence of light and you insist on bringing light to wherever you go, then darkness uh, flees. It's, it's, you know what, that's, it's very, it's very simply put, but it makes absolute complete sense to me. Yeah. Look at that. Crazy. Crazy. Um, I'm still kind of bugging out in my head that I'm actually speaking with you, by the way, just letting you know. Um, <laughs> um, so now how, I'm just going to just random, I won't hold you hostage for too much longer. Um, how was it working? With old Chuck Norris there, that guy. <laughs> Walker, Texas Ranger. I love Chuck. Uh, he was, you know, he he was so funny. I, I, I can't tell you all the stories, but um, <laughs> I, you know, it was, I was always the, the shitty boyfriend or the shitty husband. And then either Chuck would beat me up or kill me or the, the wife would, you know, learn how to beat me up and kill me because i did like i don't know three or four or five of those things yes and uh and i was in a, i was in one uh, the very first uh his first season and we were working in a uh, uh a high school and he got pissed off about something and he punched a locker and he said <laughs> i don't need this shit i have a career in feature films and it was like <laughs> <laughs> it was it was just a moment of like seeing you know what what chuck norris would do yeah um, that it was just i was the only one there to see it it was fantastic <laughs> but the great thing you know about that they did a pilot they did the pilot for that show and cbs hated it and so they just ran it off in the dead of summer when no one would watch it mm -hmm. it got extraordinary numbers yeah but they'd already uh, let go of it. So they had to buy their way into making it a series. And so Chuck and his brother ended up making probably two or three times as much as they would have on their own. Really? Yeah, if, if CBS had kept it going. So yeah. it, was, uh, it was a great thing for him and his family. Um, nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering. And then there's that scene it's just like, oh, like I, I watched it, was it yesterday, I believe. You have a scene in The Shield, and it's fucking brutal with the whole, the condom thing. It wasn't raped, that whole friggin' dude. Oh, man. I must have been in a blackout. I, yeah, I, I kind of remember that. Yeah, oh, God. Well, I, I think it was one day. I think I did one day. Yeah, I think, yeah. And it was a, a scene, and it was just this, 
fucking horrible scene. It's like, God, man, to put yourself in a mental state in order to do this. I don't know, man, but you pulled it off. You could actually, I won't get into the whole thing, but if people, if you want, just, just Google Jeff Cobra, the shield. And it's, and it's there. Um, it's like a five minute snippet of like, God, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do it early in the day. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Please. (laughs) Um, how about the movie Sully, man? Got to work with Clint. That's crazy, man. That's crazy, man. Yeah. You've worked with, listen, but well, listen, you've worked with a whole slew of like legendary. Oh, I've been a very fortunate man. Absolutely. A whole Clint, slew. You know, Clint. So here's my Clint Eastwood story. Um, <laughs> there's a, a part of the scene where I'm, I'm Sully's first uh, flight instructor when he's right. 16 years old. And, and so there's this kid who's, I don't think he's ever acted and he's playing Sully as a kid. Yeah. And so there's me and then the kid and then the camera, uh, uh, a steady cam and the steady cam is raking across him onto me. And so we have to keep a very clear lineup. And so I, we start walking and talking and I notice I'm getting covered by the kid. So I step forward just a little bit and then the kid steps forward to match me. And then I step forward a bit and the kid steps forward to match me. And, and so we get to the end of the scene and, and uh, Clint comes over. He says, okay, so you just come over here and you look at the tire and you, you just, you know, then you just start talking and then you, and he takes me by the arm. So then you just walk over here and you do this. And he says, look what I'm doing to you. This is why I became a director. So no one could do this to me. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And, and then and then he said, then we lined up again for the, and he talked to the kid for a little bit, and then we we lined up for the shot again. And and here's how he says action. He says, Okay, Jeff, whenever you're ready. It, it's like that, that, that's and then and then no one ever yells cut. They just they go, yeah, that, we're done. They just walk away. And if you're walking away from camera, yeah. no one tells you you're done. You just keep walking and you know, you <laughs> you'll run out of runway at some point yeah man yeah. that's weird that's cool though it's like yeah, was, you know it's just like uh it was the it was such a no sweat kind of a, a set it's like we're making a movie don't sweat it come on yeah that, i think that that's a pretty cool part if you feel like there's no like no pressure on you there's no one barking at you yeah no barking and it's clean eastwood i worked with my first dialogue job was on this thing called Remington Steel. I remember Remington Steel. And Henry Hathaway was the was the director, and he was known. He, he look him up. He did a lot of old uh, westerns, okay, and, you know, a lot of old films. And he was known as the yeller. He yelled all the time, and he uh-huh. yelled at some girl. This uh, it was uh, an extra uh, uh, atmosphere. He just yelled at her. What the hell do you think? You're, you're, oh, she was playing a, it was a, it was a farm that had been, that was being uh, auctioned off because her husband had died. He says, don't smile. Oh, God damn it. You're, you know, you lost your husband, you know, and she's just like, yeah. And and I had to chew tobacco and spit. And one of my favorite lines, well, now there's a pretty little thing. (laughs) Nice. 
No shit. Oh. oh man. Do you mind do you mind if I shout out my sponsors real quick? Go ahead. Jeff, are you a coffee guy? I am. Ah, maybe this is right up your alley then. One one of the sponsors of the Brooklyn Blast Furnace podcast is a company called Dead Sled Coffee. D-E-A-D-S-L-E-D Coffee. You can follow them on Instagram at Dead Sled Coffee. If you go to deadsledcoffee.com and you type in the promo code Brooklyn Blast, you'll get 20% off of your order and any order $60 or more is free domestic shipping. So thank you for Dead Sled Coffee. The second one is it's local. Um, a store called Generation Records located at 210 Thompson Street here in the West Village in New York City. You follow them on Instagram as well at Generation Records. If you cannot make it to the actual brick and mortar spot, they have an eBay page and you can go to generationrecords.bigcartel.com and order stuff online from them. They've been around since 1992. They survived this whole pandemic thing. Their doors are open. So support small, independent mom and pop businesses. Third, New Republic Printing for screen printing, embroidery, vinyl stickers, buttons. You follow them as well on Instagram at New Republic Printing. If you go to newrepublicprinting.net, there's a drop-down menu of all the brands of clothing, whether it's T-shirts, windbreakers, hoodies, zip-ups, whatever you want. You pick that, you get whatever you want printed on them. The best thing about New Republic Printing is there's no setup fees. There are no screen fees. And if you have your order shipped to any commercial address, it is free UPS ground shipping. So you can get a thousand Patrick Channing t-shirts created and have 50 boxes delivered to your job and it doesn't cost you a nickel extra. So Dead Sled Coffee, New Republic Printing and Generation Records. Thank you. All small, small businesses support them. Thanks, Jack. That covers the three main food groups, doesn't it? Yeah, man. Music, coffee, and clothing. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, I do want to talk to you about however much you want to talk to me about it. I find it awesome. Um, the look of it, the whole, the whole thing. You do tintype photography. Yeah. Yeah. And I wish that I was there or you were over here because I would love this face. Yeah, yeah, that w- it would be great and it, it's there's a there's a place uh my my guy uh my friend Jeffrey Berliner is the he is the manager of Penumbra Foundation. It's on 30 Fifth, I believe, on the uh, on the east side, and it's a it's a foundation dedicated to uh, uh, analog photography. Okay, you know, uh-huh. and and uh, I've I've had my tintype taken there a few times, and I've taken class. Uh, Joni Sternbach, who's got book, uh, she's got a book out uh, that's all surfers. She tintyped all these surfers around the world. Really, uh, I. You know, I've worked with her there. Um, Lisa Elmale is someone who teaches out of there. I've worked with her. And, you know, tintype photography is this, it's it's uh, like daguerreotypes came first in like 1841 and then 1851. This was invented. And you're basically taking a sheet of metal that ha- that's been blackened and you're turning it into a piece of film. Yeah, and uh, 
and it's called wet plate collodion because they use collodion in the that which is uh, dissolved cotton uh, in the in the uh, emulsion, and uh, you have to shoot the picture while the plate is still wet. So you have to make the plate, take the picture, develop the plate, and then fix the plate all at the same time. So it's like a very long Polaroid, you know. And wow. And it's 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 it brings a whole level of uh, uh, experience of chance into the process again, which you lose with digital. Of course, because you can post, you can fix anything, you know, and make yeah. it look any way you want it. But you know, you get the light right, and you get the 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 pose right if you're taking a portrait, and if you get your chemistry right and the timing right, it, it's you know, and it, and it the 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 length of exposure is anywhere from half a second to 12 seconds to 30 seconds, you know? So, and it depends wow. on uh, what time of day it is, what color the light is. And, you yeah. know, so it's, it's this, uh, it's this fascinating crapshoot of uh, just challenge and it's something you can never perfect. And, you know, everyone should have something that they can never perfect. Sure. hundred you percent. Know? Because, because then you, you, you know, you get to, you, you, if you ever want to, you know, if you ever get too arrogant, you can just humble yourself by trying to take a good tintype. And just right. <laughs> there you go. There's so many ways to screw it up. Yeah, nice. So what, what got, what like, were you into photography before you started doing this? Like what got you into tintype specifically? Well, you know, going on location, um, I, I, I started doing photography because I had to have something to do during the downtime. Sure. And then, then I became a meditation teacher uh, about, 15 years ago. And, and, you know, I wanted to be able to see if I could capture something that you can't see with your naked eyes, if I could capture it on film. Mm -hmm. So I knew I couldn't do that digitally. So I got a large format camera and then I didn't know, I didn't have a dark room, but you can kind of do tintype without, you can have just a really small dark room. So, and you don't have to go to a lab you don't have to mess with anyone else. It's just right there. And so I started doing tintype um, because I was able to do it all myself. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, I'm kind of a loner in, in that way. Um, and then, yeah. you know, I started taking pictures of people meditating and, and then it developed from there. And uh, yeah, that's awesome. And you have a website. It's jeff-cobra.com. Yeah. And yeah, that's your, that's for it acting and meditation and photography yeah yes so people go check that out because i was perusing your website as well um another thing um i won't get into details but follow my new instagram account <laughs> oh my god isn't that a drag yeah let me tell you something man uh, i have that account I had that account for like seven years. Oh no. Yeah. Almost 5,000 people. Like I don't buy followers. I don't pay for advertising. I just do this and just, it just grew and grew and whatever. Um, make a long story short um, to the people at home. I was regular texting you through phone numbers Um blah, 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 you know, getting, getting, setting this up and whatever, confirming this. 
And then I go to, I, I take a picture of, it's a, it's a self-portrait, looks tin-type tin portrait of you. And I share that to my Instagram story. And I at mentioned your Instagram page. And the next thing you know, one thing leads to another and my page is hacked and I don't know, I'm locked out of it. So I, I still haven't gotten mine back. So what I, unbelievable. It's owned by someone in Lagos, Nigeria. So is mine because yeah. my, we got, we have something in common. Like our, both of our accounts are controlled by the same asshole. And, and, <laughs> and apparently if you buy Bitcoin from him, don't. Make, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't. Yeah. That's like the Lord's Prayer backwards. Don't do that. Right. Don't do that. Um, so I created a new account because I'm not thinking that Instagram is going to do anything about it. Um, so I just wish at this point that my old account would just be removed. I know a whole bunch of people unfollowed it because they're getting all these messages and they yeah, knew it was yeah. hacked. And a lot of people have been reporting it and hopefully it gets reported enough where it actually gets taken down because now there's two podcast Instagrams. Um, the old one, I'm just going to put it out there. The old one is at the Brooklyn Blast Furnace. If you happen to be watching or listening to this and you follow it, unfollow that one and follow the new one. It's pretty much almost the same. It's at the Brooklyn Blast Furnace podcast. That's the new one. The other one doesn't have podcasts on the end. This one does. I have no control over the other one. The same as Jeff has no control over his. Yeah. And people write you and go like, do you know that your account's been hacked? Yes. Yeah. No, I think you should really be aware of what's going on with your account. Yeah, I'm aware. Well, you should uh -huh. do something about it. Yep, I should. Yeah. And I did. I reported it. I wrote Instagram. I have people as I'm talking with you, someone's messaging me. Did you did you report it to Instagram? What do you think I did four days ago when I watched it happen in front of my face? I was reporting it. <laughs> like, my apologies, man. It's not your fault. It's some dude in Nigeria, some loser who has nothing else better than do. It's not your fault. <laughs> So follow the new Instagram at the Brooklyn Blast Furnace podcast. And in the link in that bio is a link tree. You touch that and then everything comes up where you can find this YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, the whole deal. But I wish that you had an Instagram, but I'm not going to say what it is. Yeah, don't. don't I just it'll, <laughs> it'll I'll get one again. I'll I'm right now. I'm 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 waiting until all this plays itself out. But. Uh, in about a month, mm. I have a book coming out. Really? That'll be available on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. It's called Embracing Bliss. Okay. Uh, 108 Daily Meditations, but Embracing Bliss is the title. Um, and so look for that in about a month. Awesome. On Amazon, I will Amazon. purchase it. I will absolutely and, uh, purchase it. And then write a good review and... Uh, and then I'll write one for, for yours when it comes out. Nice. I'm sure you've got enough material. I do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, well, for my book? Listen, yeah. Listen, real quick. Way back, your episode 251, I believe I said, right? I, I lose track at this point. Um, but episode 49, I did kind of like a life story thing. Very raw it was literally into my phone, 
Um, you hear dings and stuff. I didn't know how to set the thing where like a text message comes in, you hear it ding, whatever. But you hear me pouring coffee and I'm talking and I have bullet points and it's about two and a half hours. And I go through everything from when I was born, where I was born, everything up to the current moment at the time. Good, bad, ugly, embarrassing, funny, sad, everything. Um, wow. Once I put that out, I can't even tell you how many emails, phone calls, text messages, people telling me that it needs to be a screenplay. Unbel and, then, and then people wanted to know more about certain things. So episode 49 is Jimmy Ferrari, Life and Times. And then episode 50 is something. And then episode 51 is part two, where I get into more details about certain things that I kind of touched on on the first one, because I even said, like, I could talk about rehab, but that could be a three hour podcast in and of itself. The things that happened and the people you went to rehab. I did. Yeah. On, on my own voluntarily. I walked yeah. in. Yeah, man. Yeah. I was in bad shape for a while, man. Everyone who listens to this knows this. I, I'm an open book. I have at this point, I have nothing to fucking hide, man. Um, yeah. I, I walked in. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of it, but I'm not even sure if they're really a thing anymore, but they were called Daytop. Um, Daytop. We used to we used to say that it stood for doing a year telling on people, but <laughs> yeah, but um, it's Daytop. It was um, Drug and Alcohol Rehabilitation Center. Um, I started out, um, it's called, what was it called? It was called Entry. And that lasted like two to three weeks in a small facility in Far Rockaway here in Queens. And then there was three houses, three main treatment houses upstate, one in Parksville, Swan Lake and Rhinebeck, New York, all upstate. And you waited there until they gave you whatever house you were assigned to. I wound up going to Springwood. Um, I was up in Springwood for 13 months to the day. Wow. In Maine upstate treatment. And then from there, you graduate there and then you go back down to re-entry, which is the same exact facility um, where you get a job and blah, blah, blah. Then they let you and they give you like privileges and stuff like that. And I was I was voluntarily I could have walked anytime I wanted to. Right. Right. Um, right. But, but I'm going to say probably about 75 percent of the of the people there were mandated through jail. Um, yeah. And if they completed the program, like whatever time they had hanging over their head would be exonerated. Yeah. Um, I seen people who were so institutionalized go there and do stupid shit and then go back to jail because jail was easier for them. Yeah. Like there was, a, I, I mean, there's stories I could, I could talk for hours just about it. Um, one of my best friends, he's like my brother. I met there. Um, I still talk to him all the time. Um, you know, and it's sad, you know, some people have prospered and became stuff and, and remain sober. And then I heard of people, they graduated the whole thing. And six months later, they went back to doing what they were doing and they had a heart attack or they died or they OD'd or who's doing life in jail for, for murder because you, like, what's wrong with you, man? Like, so, but yeah, I walked in April fool's day, 2004. I walked in. Damn. How ironic is that? It was April fool's day. It was the smartest thing I ever did. Mine was uh, the day before New Year's Eve, nineteen eighty-five. I was nine. <laughs> yeah, I was older. 
Yeah, I was nine. Yeah, and I was I was I was most it was mostly alcohol. It's mostly alcohol uh-huh. for the most part. I mean, it was always the pot and it was a little bit of blow and the blah blah. But it was majority alcohol. I was lush. Yeah, it was bad. But listen, things happen. You go through things. You learn from them. I bumped my head once. I, I did. Um, I had about seven years completely sober and then, uh, I'm not blaming it on anything else. Um, it was, it's my actions, but a lot of shit, like my mother died and I was getting divorced. It was, there was like four or five insane, literally life-changing things that happened. And I got a case of the fuckets and I went nuts for like three years. So my new sober date is October 1st. So it was the first for some reason. October 1st, 2014 was the last time I had a sip of anything or, or did anything. I drink coffee. I drink probably too much Red Bull. But other than that, right. yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. other than that, um, I'm, I'm a sober guy. And every day I try to, like, keep my temper and my knee jerk reactionary stupid shit at bay. I try. That's fantastic, you know? man. That's yeah, really man. so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So. You know, it is what it is. And I, I, I occupy myself, you know, what is, what is that expression? Uh, uh, idle time is the devil's workshop or something like that. They say idle hands. I don't, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I mean, I have a regular job and I work and, you know, I have my daughter on weekends for the most part. And, and I, but other than that, this is what I do. I create flyers for this and I promote this and I do this and, and I keep myself busy. And this is something that I legitimately enjoy. And honestly, yeah, so you're really good at it too, man. You, Cause you, your, your enjoyment of it comes through. Um, that I appreciate that, man. I've heard that before, but then I always say like, I don't know, I'm just being me. I don't know, but um, I appreciate that. And um you know, David yeah. Hawkins, who was a, an enlightened teacher and a psychiatrist, said, we change the world not by what we do, but by what we have become. Huh. So you're an example of that. I guess I am, huh? Yeah. So it's just just being you. That's your job, man. Yeah. Just be you and keep making you better. And, and it's, you know, and everything keeps, you know, moving upward. That's right. We all have peaks and valleys, but you know, for the most part, for, listen, I laugh at myself all the time. I joke around all the time. It's like, obviously there's time and place for certain things, but yeah, man, I, I just try to be a happy guy <laughs> you know? with it, with a, with a colorful history, with a very colorful history. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, listen, I, I would not be opposed to, uh, if, if somebody wanted to make a movie about my life, listen, I'm all in, you know what I mean? Or write a book. I mean, I see, but I'm, I'm, I'm crazy as far as like, like not OCD, but I'm very anal retentive when it comes to certain things. It would take me 35 years to write a book because I, I, it would have to be in the right order. And then as soon as I was done and I'm finished, I, I, there's a huge chunk that I would, you know what I mean? Like that I forgot and it would drive me nuts and I wouldn't be satisfied with it. So I don't know, man, any yeah. ghost writers out there or any, yeah. anybody who wants to make a movie or write about me, listen to episode 49 and 51 and get back to me. <laughs> Cause I'm, I'm all in. Fantastic. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, dude, I look forward to seeing the screenplay. Oh, listen, will you come to the premiere? Okay. 
Yeah, hundred percent. You're VIP. People say I was there. I was yes. there when it started. That's right. I would give you all the credit in the world. All the credit and the accolades go right to Jeff Cobra, the guy that made this happen. That would be a fucking surreal moment. <laughs> Jeff, thank you so much, man. I won't hold you thank hostage you. anymore. Um, this was this was awesome. And like I said before, I appreciate your time. And stay in touch, man. I'll text you exactly what... Um, uh, what date this is going to come out. It's always on a Friday at noon Eastern time. I'll, I'll text you the date. Um, but yeah, man, stay in touch. And I don't know if you, you're probably, I don't know how active you are on Facebook, but I sent you a friend request on there. I don't know if you're full or whatever, but since we can't communicate on, uh, on Instagram. No, no Instagram communication here. Right. Um, yeah. So I, so I'd be able to like, I'll be able to tag you in the thing and blah, blah, blah. When it comes out, when I, I don't know if you're yeah, on. I'll watch for that. Yeah. And stay in touch. It's really a pleasure, man. Dude, good to meet you. Awesome to meet you as well, man. Likewise. Okay. Thanks a lot, buddy. See ya. What is it? See you around, buddy boy. See you later, buddy boy. See you <laughs> around, buddy boy. Is that what it is? See you around, buddy boy. That's what it is. Yeah. See you around, buddy boy. That's right. Later, brother. <laughs>